Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made four low-budget feature films of varying success, and I've been to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length films on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. So we just got back from the Austin Film Festival last week. It was overall a really cool experience and uh, made some friends and, and we're hoping to have some new guests on the show that we'll get to introduce you to, including people who worked for the festival. So you can learn a little bit more about that film festival. Overall, very, very cool film festival and very cool city in general. Uh, before I left, though, Dean Treadway, who was on episode 51 of Discount Film School and was uh, the one of the jury members at the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival, uh, he has a podcast as well um, that's extremely well listened to called Movie Geeks United on Blog Talk Radio. And he was nice enough to have me on. And we ended up having uh, about a 45-minute conversation that, after a while, because Dean is the conversationalist that he is, uh, it turned into a really nice conversation about filmmaking and art in general. We were advertising the Austin screening, so that's obviously a, a, an irrelevant piece of it now. Uh, so I'm going to post our conversation here. I know you're not supposed to do that, posting somebody else's content uh, on your own, but we get next to no listeners and he gets many, many listeners. So this is really just my way of making sure it's here for posterity. But really what you should do is go over to their podcast, Movie Geeks United at Blog Talk Radio. They talk about filmmaking films. The episode we were on was the October 23rd episode. Uh, it was the independent film Spotlight. So without further ado, here's the conversation. And uh, look for those future guests soon. There's going to be a lot more Discount Film School coming soon. Welcome to the Movie Geeks United Independent Film Spotlight. Tonight we'll be discussing two exciting new indie films currently making the festival circuit. Now we move on to director Frankie Frayne, who discusses his great new film titled Having Fun Up There. The story of a Boston rock musician played by John Ryan, who's struggling to reconcile his art with the reality of making a living. That's probably something that a lot of our listeners out there can identify with. The film plays on October 26th at the Austin Film Festival, and it's available for purchase alongside Frayne's previous films at redcowentertainment.com. On that website, you can also find the director's extremely smart and insightful chronicle on the making of the film. Here's our co-host, Dean Treadway, and Frankie Frame in conversation. Okay, well, Frankie, uh, um, you know, of course, you know I'm a big fan of uh, having fun up there. And I, one of the big things I'm, <clears throat> that I like about the movie is its theme of, like, of juggling, uh, juggling your art and... and, and uh, with your with your actual work life, you know, with your the life that actually puts food on the table, and right. uh, I, I've I've read you know I've read some stuff in your book and uh, which uh, you know just to let the audience know the book uh, the book is called More Weight and it's about the making of the movie, uh, and I read also that your your day job is as an IT technician, right? Uh, yeah. So right. how. How do you, I mean, you're, first of all, you're not, uh, this is a movie about the music world, but you're not a musician, is this correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, it was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I, 
there are, you probably know better than anybody, there's lots of films out there about making other films. And I wanted to express something about artists making art. And um, I, the, my, the only, you know, relation I have to the art world is filmmaking. So I didn't want to do that. But it was when I actually uh, ran up against a really cool short script by Jeff Torelli, who wrote Having Fun Up There. Um, and I said, ooh, this is, you know, this this kind of... Um, uh, this, this story about music is acting as a really nice metaphor for what I want to say about independent artists. And um, so it was, it was kind of the first, it was my, it's my fourth feature film. And it was the first time that I said, uh, maybe I, I should put down the pen this time and let somebody else write it. And, uh, and maybe I can kind of come into my own as a director. So that, that was, it was kind of twofold. It was like, let's use music as a metaphor for what I want to do. And let's also see if I can step up my directing. You know, I've, I've made so much stuff at this point that, I've never really regarded myself as a director. I've regarded myself more as somebody who just makes things. You know, even though I do technically direct and edit the films, I just sort of make them. You know, they're, it's under mm-hmm. such low-budget circumstances. Uh, so this was the first time I actually had to ask myself, well, you know, uh, what is being the director of this mean for the story? So, um, so yeah, so Jeff was writing a story about music. I was directing a story about filmmaking, and hopefully at the end of the day it's just about artists in general. Well, so that's this is interesting that you say this. You know, I didn't even like. I'm, I've seen some of your previous films, and I know that you were the writer of those. And uh, and and so with this film, since you were able to concentrate on the directing more and actually let go on the writing, even though you threw in on the script, obviously. But um, yeah. uh, the so how did you see your your directing actually? Did you see it improving? Did you see how did it affect you know? Yeah, because you're, 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 it's, it's, I, I'm sure it's a lot like when, you know, people are often encouraged, uh, to not edit their own works, um, to, to instead sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of baggage that comes with production. Um, if, mm-hmm. if it was a pain in the butt to, to go shoot, um, at that location or to get all those extras together or to get the camera rig just right or, or to, you know, the weather was, was looking bad, <clears throat> all that baggage comes with you into the editing room. And now suddenly you're you're trying to honor the thing you were doing that day instead of honor the story. Well, it's kind of the same way here, where it's uh, rather you know when I'm directing, I don't have the baggage of what I was trying to write and the problems I was trying to work out and solve. Now, granted, I was part of the story development process. Um, I kind of we sat down and more than anything else, we sat down and talked about the themes. I remember we did a documentary shoot together and we. We rode in the car for, we went from uh, Boston to Buffalo, Niagara to shoot this documentary. And it was one of the first times we spent a prolonged period of time together. It was probably a year out from the, sh- the shooting of the film. And mm-hmm. the whole way up, you know, eight hours, the whole way back, another eight hours, we talked about the themes. We didn't talk about, like, the characters or maybe they could do this or that. We just talked about the themes. and, and Or jokes or anything like that. or okay, yeah, yeah, no, we weren't, wor- we weren't working out story problems. We were just w- working out what, it, what do we want to express. And that was really fun for me because it, it, it was it was a lot less pressure for me. I, I was able to just sit there and talk about what it was I wanted to express. And then when I actually got there on set, um, you know, mo- most of my work was done with the cinematographer um, uh, in getting down a look for the film. You know, we, we really like sort of this rough around the edge, uh, kind of, you know, digital look to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the, you know, one, <clears throat> one of my favorite films of all time is actually Rocky. Uh, which you know is from '76 and, and doesn't look much like films from now, but that, that, that's that's pretty. That's like, a pretty grainy. That's a pretty grainy sort of you know slice of life kind of movie there. That, so I mean, 
with your digital, uh, with the digital. I mean, I was looking at uh, Sexually Frank, which is a previous one of your previous features, yeah. and, and I was like, it's so ridiculously clear. It's like it almost is uncomfortable. I mean, so. But anyway, keep talking about Rocky. Sorry. Well, you know, it, 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 Rocky sort of the, the similar themes, which is for me the thing that I center in on is here's a guy who who uh, succeeded on his own terms. Um, mm-hmm. Success as you define it, um, very important idea to me. Uh, yes. You know, that, that you don't have to have knocked another guy out. Uh, you don't have to necessarily win. You don't necessarily have to get an A-plus uh, to have succeeded. Right. Um, yes, of and, course. And that's, what, that's what's going on here, which is um, if I can, you know, it, ultimately our character needs to kind of become enlightened about uh, how he's going to be happy while being commercially unsuccessful. And it sounds like something that's kind of easy to come to terms with, but for a lot of people, it's not because they're taught very specifically uh, uh, that that is that is what failing is. And and uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, I think I think I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said that it's somewhat of an American notion that if mm-hmm. you're if you're an if you're an accountant that writes poetry at nighttime, you're kind of considered a little bit of a failure. Um, right. Whereas, like in in Europe, for for instance, it's kind of assumed that you have your your art at nighttime or on the weekends. And so that's what this is about. I love it too because I mean I think it almost you know certainly uh, you know I I can relate to it as a podcaster and and so forth that uh, that that has has a certain amount of success out there and can go to things but I really don't make a lot of money at it so no, so no. but uh, but uh, but we're we're ridiculously successful on this show so I think I mean I think a lot of people can really relate to this movie. I'm interested in your uh, relationship with your lead actor, John Ryan, whom I know you kind of, you have sort of a, I don't know, would, I, would you classify it as kind of a symbiotic relationship that you have with him? or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, so where does that come from? Uh, so it, it's one of those cool things where, <clears throat> you know, you meet somebody somewhat serendipitously, and then you're just so grateful that it happened. Um, we We see each other about two to three years, every two to three years, and it's to make a movie. Um, would I consider it my friend? Absolutely. Uh, but really that friendship is, is, is filmmaking. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time hanging out or talking outside of the films that we make. But I met him uh, when we started in a play together, uh, a stage production um, at Emerson College where we both went to school. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just one of those guys that you, you share a cadence with them. Uh, you share sort of a, a similar media culture uh, similar backgrounds, um, it, it, a lot less talking needs to take place to communicate. And mm-hmm. uh, a director-actor relationship, that's very, very important. Um, <clears throat> he understands the rhythm and the melody to uh, uh, not just the dialogue necessarily, but even like the, um, the filmmaking itself. We shot this movie, very important detail, we shot this movie in nine days straight. From beginning to end, everything you said. <laughs> that was going to be my next question about the the uh, the length of the shoot and uh, and uh, and uh, how amazingly chaotic it must have been because of the number of locations that you go to. Well, I'll, st- I'll start with the fact that that if you don't have a lead actor who understands filmmaking on top of performance art, uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, John, mm-hmm. the fact that the fact that John and I not only had a a uh, uh, you know a shorthand with everything that we were doing and saying. But also the fact that he he understands what he looks like in the film. He understands that he can't you know wobble too much when he's in a close up. He understands how to how to cheat uh, you know a, a gesture. Um, he understands all of these mechanical things that help us get through you know what, what's often the headache of making films. 
Uh, yeah, right. we spend so we spend so much time talking about the final result, and we spend so much time talking about what we want it to be beforehand. But everything in the middle is just a big pain in the ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and John John makes it a lot easier. You know, I'm not as much as I want to be thinking about the story and everything. When I'm on set, I'm thinking more about where people need to go to the bathroom and what you know where the parking is and. Uh, I don't, you know, make sure to keep all those lights together because I don't want to lose anything because I'm borrowing that for the day. <laughs> I'm thinking more about those things than I am the story. So he, he just makes all of it from the, from the actor's side effortless. And the fact that he's really good, he's, a, he's an obvious choice every time they make a movie. Yeah, he's great in the movie. Uh, I mean, the act, the acting in the film is, is pretty much all around uh, great. I mean, and of course, you're great in it, too. Um, did you consider like you maybe taking? I mean, you you were the lead, the not well one of. I would say you were the lead of Sexually Frank. So did did you consider taking the lead on this one too, or and then uh, giving John a, a supporting role like you did in in the previous movie, or um, not at all. Um, the yeah. when when we went into it, um, so Jeff obviously, you know, sometimes I have the actor before I have the character. But most of the time, uh-huh. I have the character the character before I have the actor. So, in this case, you know, Mark Kessel, the main character, he he existed on Jeff's page before casting John Ryan did. But when I when I signed on as director, uh, uh, you know, instantly I was like, oh my god, this is like, you know, I I I've, I've worked with on two features with John Ryan just to cast him as this part. It's so perfect for him. Uh, he he can fit these shoes wonderfully, and I. Because I wanted to focus on directing, um, it was the first movie of, of any of my films that I had planned to not be in it at all. Uh, I uh-huh. was going to, com- com- you know, because I, yeah, I, I get compliments about my performance, and I'm, it's always very flattering. But I don't think of myself as an actor. I think of myself as more of, more of a storyteller, and um, uh, in much the same way that I describe John as sort of a mechanical actor. You know, a utilitarian actor. I, I don't get too heady and thinky about. Uh, the method or, or the backstory or anything like that. I'm more interested in pushing the story forward. So I don't, I don't think of myself as a good acting resource. But in this case, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was kind of an awkward sized part. It was one scene, big monologue, performance heavy. He needed yeah. to have a, a close relationship with the main character. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I, it, we, you know, we were kind of running out of time and we hadn't cast the part yet. And I went to Jeff and I said, Hey, would you be, would you think it would be crazy to, to cast me. And he said, eh. he very politely was like, you know, this character is meant to be cool and you're not cool. So I was like, no, I was like, give, give me a, give me a stab at it. And, um, I, you know, now I had to prove him wrong. So I, I, I probably out of anybody in the cast spent the most time getting my part down so that on the day of, I tried to, tried to knock it out of the park, but I did have that long monologue. And, um, it was a hot day. It was inside of a small apartment. It was at the end of a long day, and everybody was tired. So I'm standing there delivering a long monologue, and everybody's basically falling asleep around me. So I felt like I was really bad on the day. But it, it, you know, since then, people have told me I'm I'm quite good. So I'm glad for that. <laughs> I I I remember watching the movie for the first time. You know, uh, when you had submitted it to the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival. Uh, I remember watching the movie and going, "Oh my God, I, he's the director!" You know, after I was reading the credits and everything, uh, oh, and, yeah. uh, and and thinking, thinking, "Oh, uh, well, he he was really good." It was like a a really like meaty kind of cameo almost. Uh, anyways, uh, I think you're pretty good. Um, we kind of we we love the idea of 
like in the first act, the director actually steps on screen and tells you the point of the movie, which is really what that uh-huh. scene is. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so you shot for nine days, okay? So uh, that's a lot of, I mean, the, the, like I said, there are a lot of locations in this thing. Uh, yeah. And how did you pull the strings to to get all the locations and so forth? So Yeah, so I'm, I'm 28 years old, um, but I've been making movies since I was 14. And, um, you know, I, I, you make a lot of crap before you start to make anything good. And uh-huh. while, while, while you're making crap, you're learning how to do things efficiently, quickly. You're learning all the small little pitfalls, like, oh, yeah, that, that always goes wrong. Don't even bother trying to do that. You know, um, right. all those little things that keep a production moving. And if I could, like, if anybody was looking for advice on how to keep a, how to keep a shoot moving, um, it would be focus more on getting more camera setups rather than getting perfect takes of any individual setup. As long as as long as every utterance of the scene was taken in a in a good take somewhere, um if you have enough setups, if you cover the scene well enough, you're going to be able to build a nice rhythm uh in editing. And that's important for me because I, I often will cast non-actors because I love you know, I love really honest uh, you know, energy that, that non-actors sometimes bring. Like for instance, uh there's a young young lady in the movie uh, named Hannah Carpenter who who plays the Berkeley girl. I think she yeah. she lends a really nice energy to the movie. But she's a non-actor, and um and she would you know fumble a lot. And and if you watched those takes straight, you'd probably be like, who the hell cast this person? But we got so many nice honest moments throughout it that you're able to as long as you have that coverage, you're able to stitch something together. So that's how we kept things moving. I mean, any given scene. It takes much longer than three hours. Um, you know, it's, we're just not going to make time. Um, mm-hmm. And then, as far as getting all the locations in, it's really just about having a, a lengthy pre-production period where where you line all of that up and and <laughs> call location owners again and again and again and make sure that they're they're going to be there. And and even when you do that, you know, we had there was like two locations. One got rained out. It was an amusement park. We had to completely shift gears on that day. And another time was a. It was a bar we were set to shoot in, and, it, and we were locked out of it. <clears throat> and my, my mm. wife and Jeff uh, ran up and down the street looking for day bars that were open. And we paid them 150 bucks, and we just ran in there and shot all day. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's being able to adapt at a moment's notice. And, um, and, again, having actors that will go for the ride with you. And also, it shouldn't – a cinematographer shouldn't go uncredited. Uh, Kyle Gage, um, this is his second feature that he's done. He shot Sexually Frank as well. And he, uh-huh. um, the, the, the guy, you know, cinematographers are really well known for, uh, for, for slowing down shoots, you know, being perfectionists. They want to get that one camera set up really, really down pat or really well lit, often for their reels, you know, not even necessarily for the film. Um, uh-huh. And this guy, this guy rushes you, you know, he, he can't believe that you're still, that you're going to do another take when you already got it. You know? So he, uh, that's right. really uncommon and it, it keeps us all moving. Um, the, um, you know, the film is, uh, is, has a a massive, um, oh gosh, it has a massive kind of, uh, feeling of reality of, uh, a sure sense of time and place. And, uh, I just want to know, like, uh, how you how you feel that you go about building that? I mean, like uh, you know, uh, um, I don't know what I'm really trying to get at, but I think you kind of know. I mean, I think uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how 
I mean, you, you're not a musician, but yet you, you capture the music world pretty well. And I mean, I know you deal with Jeff. Was Jeff a yeah. musician? Because I've been a musician in Atlanta before, and I feel like I feel like I just absolutely know these people. So uh, yeah, so. Jeff, Jeff Jeff was Jeff was really instrumental. Pardon the pun um, in uh, uh, in building the authenticity of the film because we were you know normally my wife uh, plays a really large role in getting the resources together. That is to get mm-hmm locations, props, everything, where they need to be, when they need to be there. But we actually mm-hmm. left it – Jeff also played a producer's role on this film. So we left it to him to say, you know, hey, we need a, a, a record store. What record store in the area really embodies what you were thinking when you wrote the film? And he'll say, oh, In Your Ear Music is, is basically where I thought that would take place. So, he, you know, the sorts of things that I never would have um, known to do, <clears throat> he was able – and, you know, he has – he was in multiple bands. He played music all throughout his 20s and 30s. Um, he, the, the, the music that's in the film is uh, uh, by a, uh, a leading, uh, a, a lead singer and guitarist and everything else musician that, uh, that Jeff used to play with, um, who was able to lend us old four tracks. And, you know, because the, the character, Mark, there um, is kind of a really lo-fi guy. He's, he's a Gen Xer who, um, mm-hmm. who is definitely, definitely not kept up. Um, he's not on Facebook. Uh, he he still he's probably still got a Walkman someplace, you know. With all yeah, yeah. It, it was. I think we wrote Walkman in the script, but we we did decide on giving him a portable CD player because it somehow felt <laughs> even more antique in a in a weird way. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, that 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 would that's definitely how the authenticity uh, is there. We can credit Jeff with that a lot. And then as far as having a, a, a maybe a present energy might be a way to describe it. Um, mm. I attribute that to two things. Uh, shooting quickly. Uh, shooting quickly means that everybody is focused on the film, whether they want to or not. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. lives the film for nine days straight. And uh, I mean, you, how big is your crew? I mean, how big is your typical crew when you go out? I mean, it's not that. Is it that huge? I mean, is it like twenty people? It, what? Oh my God, no! It's, <laughs> it's like uh, seven or something. There's there's Kyle on the camera. There's uh, my good friend John Hunt on audio, and uh-huh. that's all we that's all we need. Um, that's mm-hmm. all we do. You know, there's I'm there to direct, of course. If you want to count me, my wife is somewhere around just help. Uh, Jeff is there. Jeff was off camera. It's like a uh, kind of a PA. Your wife is kind of almost like a PA or something. Yeah, yeah. Je- Jeff is uh, there to call out lines um, if people forget their lines, uh, which was actually I've never done that. I never had a script supervisor on a film before, and it was really helpful because, especially with a script I didn't write, because one of the worst things that can happen, especially for long dialogue <coughs> scenes, is that the cast forgets a line and you didn't know the script well enough to know that they skipped up they skipped an important piece or right. they skipped they skipped it in a setup that you needed it for in editing um and you kind of skipped over it because you were focused on the camera composition you were focused on whether or not they got the, their their verbiage right and you actually missed some story information um mm-hmm. and having somebody on script to be like wait <laughs> you missed something important was really right important. but yeah yeah. We, we're we're bare, we're bare bones. We did a whole pickup day where it was literal. I did audio. It was literally just Kyle and I. So we can we can go as as bare bones as needed. Um, and uh, I, I would definitely attri- I would definitely yeah. attribute that to the to the present the present feeling. You know, the, the actors barely know when action is called and when cut is called. So you get you know, after the take and before the take aren't all that dissimilar. Uh huh. 
Yeah, uh, um, I was going to ask about that. I uh, I remember at the uh, at the film festival, you you talked a little bit about that about yeah. about how you uh, we you didn't really stick a lot. I mean, you, you uh, there was a free sort of free flowing sort of sense of not quite improvisation, but like a sort of yeah. like you didn't have to really stick to the, to every word of the script, right? I mean, you would, yeah, you, yeah. You, I mean, you would um, change things. I, I I definitely wouldn't like it's it's nowhere near like a Christopher Guest sort of thing where you know it's uh-huh. here here are all the yeah. beats you need to hit now do it with whatever dialogue you want because J- Jeff especially writes, writes a very um uh, he, he's pretty precise with his wording and we were precise in, in the scripting so I actually do I do like to stick to script to some degree but not necessarily in blocking we can you know we can be creative with the blocking we can be creative uh, uh, with um, you know, if they do throw in, you know, a, a, an improvised line, I have no problem with it if it works in the story. Uh, but right. I would, I, you know, my hope is that it looks improvised when it's not at all, which, um, which I, I think is the situation. And again, I would, I would attribute that to um, a very natural and relaxed set. Uh, there's mm-hmm. not a, you know, I've, I've been on larger sets before. I've acted in larger sets before, and um, you're very aware when a take is running. And you're very uh-huh. aware when it's when it's not, and so so the spotlight really hits you in a way that that causes you to perform. And um, these guys were just kind of they they almost felt like they were in outtake mode a lot of the time. And because I got got it from all angles, I can build a nice performance out of that. So I don't want to take their any credit away from their performance ability, but I do. You know, it is a marriage between what they did on the day and what I'm able to do in editing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so do you. Do you find that uh, that uh, working this way? I mean, you've planned things out. Do you do you find that you're uh, leaving a lot of room for yourself to be surprised when you get to the editing room? And does that does that contribute? That that must contribute yeah, we don't, a certain uh, certain energy spend, to the movie. We spend all of our time editing. Oh, I'm sorry. We spend all of our pre-production time just making sure that the locations are available um, and that everybody can get there in a car. <laughs> and that all the props yeah. are going to be there. That's really what we focus on. Uh, we almost never have an opportunity to get to the location in advance and figure out how we're going to do things. Instead, what I do with, with Kyle, my cinematographer, is um, every time we do a new movie, we sit down with all of our favorite films we saw in the last two years. Or, you know, it can predate that too. But normally we like to do current stuff. And we uh, we make a binder of, of photography that's inspiring us or – uh, you know, wasn't it interesting when they did this 180 flip in such and such a movie, and it, you know, it, it had this effect, or um, you know, uh, uh, you know, doesn't the space in this composition show a lot of um, a lot of separation or, or distrust or whatever? We'll we'll kind of talk about what we like, and then we start mapping those two themes in the film. But we don't actually storyboard anything. We don't shot list anything. We don't even block things in advance. We we get on the location and we immediately start going. Okay, okay, so. So maybe maybe John Ryan is sitting here, and they're like, oh, he can't sit there because somebody else is going to come in the frame. Oh, okay, well, we'll move him. And so we're, we're all figuring that out together in the first 10 minutes. We set that in stone, and then we start doing setups. Um, if, if you're not shooting within the first 20 minutes of arriving the set, um, you're going to fall behind. Do you think that uh, do you think that you could ever you know, let's just say let's say let's look ten years down the line and you get you get some kind of offer to do a bigger budgeted movie 
and you have a crew of whatever a normal crew is, you know. I mean, I've been on crews before and it, on independent movies, and I thought, wow, there's 50 or 60 people here, it feels like. This, yeah. is, this is nuts. Uh, so do you feel like if you, if you quote, quote, graduated up to, uh, to, uh, a, a crew like that, would that be a distraction to you or would you, do you, how do you feel like you would react to that? I think I, I would try to find a way to continue working in an intimate way, even with all the people around. Um, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I think immediately when you ask that question, I think immediately of James Gunn, uh, the fact that he went from, you know, these really small kind of making movies with friends to making the biggest movie of the summer with Guardians of the Galaxy. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I know that, for instance, uh, the, the, the actor who, who did the mocap for, uh, for, for the, the raccoon um, was his brother. Bradley Cooper. You know, that was, that was right. just something, a way, a way to make the process intimate for him. Uh, or uh-huh. he, worked with, he worked with common actors. He, he worked with a, a score writer that he worked with previously. So he found ways to even – among all of the bombastedness um, and largeness of a Disney production, uh, you found a way to still make it a James Gunn film. And, and in that, I think you see that when you watch that movie. You see something yeah. really personal and passionate on screen, and it, it shines through, even through the $200 million budget. So I, I probably would try to find a way to do what he does. Mm-hmm. So uh, okay, so you uh, you finished the film, and the, the, okay, so then you have the book, okay, which is called More Weight, which is yeah. which is a very extensive book, uh, I, you know, that I've been going through and uh, and thumb through up in New York, and uh, I'm still making my way through it, and cool. uh, um, making you know it's been hard to make time to read, but um, yeah. uh, so uh, first of all, like. Where did you find the time to do this book? I mean, you must have made some some pretty copious notes as you on these nine days that you were that you were shooting. I mean, like, did you go home and uh, did you take a break from those nine days and then just write all this stuff out? I just need to know about this because this when you handed me the book, I was like, I was like, whoa, this, this is crazy. This is the biggest book I've ever seen. About it'll take longer to read the me to read the book than actually watch the movie. Yeah, well, so what, what happened was this. Um, <clears throat> as you can tell from the podcast, I'm I'm a talker, obviously, and um, uh-huh. and I also really it's it, it's very important to me to to document these experiences because, uh, I, I you know when when I go through a process like getting everybody together and making a piece of art, uh, the experience to me is almost as important as the result. Uh, uh, who we were when we did it, why we did it, um, you know, it's, it's a time capsule. It's why I love DVD and Blu-ray. You know, I love the idea that there there would be a an artifact that encapsulates the entire experience uh, with special features and whatnot, not just the film itself. I love commentary tracks. I love all that stuff. I'm really sad actually that we're we seem to be going away from that. Everybody just wants to get straight to the movie on Netflix and go away from it. <clears throat> Especially as a filmmaker. That's so true. I, I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. That is that is sad. I just had to throw yeah, that in there, it, concurring completely. <laughs> I, I kind of need, you know, when I finish a film, I kind of need a physical copy of it in a way. So, anyway, what what happened was uh, when I made Sexually Frank, I um, I, I decided to. A lot of people were asking, you know, when you do festivals and stuff, they were asking, why did you make this movie or how did you make this movie? And so I decided to sit, to sit down and see if I could write some just some prose, you know, uh, about uh, the experience. And I wrote about like ten single space pages uh, talking about the pre-production. Um, uh huh. And people really seemed to dig it. They they were like, wow, this is this is kind of informative. 
and then it stops. It is, right? by the way. Let me, if I can say to, it yep. is ridiculously informative, and actually like a really, really, really good book to sort of like demystify the process for some people. I think. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you think that because I mean, like, if there's one thing I'd almost rather do than than make good movies, it's try to show people that they can do it too. That's that's. Mm-hmm almost more important to me than making the film itself. The film is almost a, a conversation starter for me. Um, mm-hmm. So so we, I wrote the Sexually Frank blog, um, which was kind of short, and then uh, I put it away, and people were like, oh, I like that, but you didn't, you didn't keep going. You didn't talk about the production or the post-production. So I kind of you know, always regretted not, not going further. Then at, at the beginning of this year, I said, uh, you know, I've always wanted to write a book about filmmaking. Maybe I'll do that in 2014. So... Uh, the film was shot last October. It was there was a rough cut by November, and you know you you don't sleep two weeks after you make the movie. You just edit, edit, edit. Um, yes. And then I, I'm I'm sitting around bothered because the color correction was taking so long, and uh, we were you know it wasn't really film festival season or we missed a few deadlines. So we were really kind of waiting to hear back from people. And as I was applying to film festivals, um, some of them asked, you know, um, do you have any additional writings? to go along with, with the movie. Uh, and I said, yeah, you know what? I should probably write a blog about this movie the way I did for Sexually Frank. So I sit down and I start describing, you know, when I met Jeff and why I like the script. And before I knew it, I was double the length of the last, um, uh, of the last blog. And we have, we, we, we actually had a, a friend do set photography on this film. And so we had all these beautiful photos. And then I started to think, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to, so maybe I could write up a little something about the whole experience. Cause I was, I was you know, uh, uh, I was anxious. I wanted to, to get into a film festival or, or get the color correction back, back or something. So I was kind of bored in a way. And I said, wouldn't it be nice that maybe I'll write something that's like 50 pages. I'll make a cool little hardcover book with all the photos and stuff. And it'll just be for the, like a, a nice gift for the cast and crew. Well, mm-hmm. then it became 200 pages and then 300 pages. And suddenly... <laughs> I had accidentally written a book, and it took about. And it's not just your just to let the audience know. There's, it's not just your writing. It's the some of uh, your your uh, collaborators throw in uh, uh, major pieces in it too. So you get the you get the idea of how how they uh, viewed the their the production and so forth. So. Yeah, I, I emailed the I emailed the draft to them, and I said. Uh, First of all, read this and make sure that you know you're not mad that I wrote, that I wrote it. <laughs> and, uh-huh. then, uh, and then, uh, you know, if you have something you want to, if you know, clarify or correct that I said, you know, throw it in. Um, so they did all that, and you know, they came right back to me because they they're fast too. They're fast readers, and they enjoyed reading it, reading about the production they were part of. Um, and and then suddenly we had we had a book with a sides and everything, and I. I ended up uh, uh, speaking to a good friend of mine, Emily Brinkmeyer, who said, I could, you know, do the layout for you in, in InDesign, and we could make this into an actual cool book. And before you knew, before I knew it, uh, you know, I, I looked online for self-publishing services, and there's some really great stuff out there for you can print your own hardcover, your own softcover, and uh, you, you know, there's an audio. We ended up recording a six-and-a-half-hour audio book that you can listen to. Uh, mm. And that's all available uh, on Amazon.com. It's just for, for Frankie Frame. Mm-hmm. And same thing with more weight. The book you you can you can get you can get the book and the or the audio book on Amazon.com as well. Yep, it's all it's all available there. So yeah, it's the book in paperback is available on Amazon. You can also see the audio book on Amazon or on Audible.com. Um, right. And and you can actually get to all of our stuff, our DVDs, our Blu-rays, and our and the book 
at redcowentertainment.com slash store. Yeah. Okay. So that gives a, that gives everybody a, a good uh, way to watch the watch the movie. And I mean, I, I do I do foresee like getting a VOD sort of thing. I mean, uh, a, a VOD release or uh, well, you're about to go to the Austin Film Festival. We should say that. Yeah. This is uh um this is uh this is coming up uh next week on the uh on October twenty sixth. Uh and That's right. so That's right. um uh so how has the festival let's talk about this for a second. How's the festival experience been? I mean I, I you know, you did pretty well at the one that I was at, but yeah. uh Thanks to tell you. me tell me Oh well, you know we we all love the movie. But, um, uh, so tell me how it was and and how you felt about the Massachusetts Fest and and where you're going with it now. Sure. So um, yeah, it, it, one one thing I would really recommend people check out in my book, if if no other chapters, <laughs> is uh, I go into a really deep dive towards the end of the book about every festival distribution experience I've ever had. And it's, it's, you know, probably, that's probably 100 pages of the book right there. Um, mm. And, I, you know, I, I've I've made four feature films by this point. Uh, you know, some people like some of them, some people love some of them, some people don't like some of them. But the fact is, is that they're, they're all on some level releasable. Uh, I think we've all seen films get released and distributed that aren't released. Oh my God, I've seen a lot worse movies. I mean, like yeah. you know, I mean, I, I mean, like really, really. I mean, these these movies are actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's. I see an improvement uh, at least from from sexually frank to to this one. You know, like this yeah. is just my little review part of this or whatever. But I like sexually frank. Uh, uh, like I, I love it on the screenplay level and everything. But I see an improvement in the acting. And then the directing and in uh, having having fun up there, so Absolutely, I mean like, yeah. I mean I I don't know if you see it, but uh, uh but it's for me it's there. So I think you're uh, continually uh, going to get obviously get better. I mean, uh, so but uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean yeah, so, so, they, so the you know sexually frank, um, uh, which which is a film we're all proud of, and and we like that movie, and some people. Some people really love that movie, um, and they don't get having fun up there at all. So it's like a kind of an all, you know, it's 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 there's no accounting for taste. But that movie, um, it, it got picked up by a small DVD distributor, who ended up we ended up not even signing a contract together before they went out of business, and um, mm. and it really just kind of crashed and burned in that way. Um, we had a great festival screening at the Sydney Underground Film Festival, which is a really wonderful festival in Australia. Uh, that I actually went out for and, and had a you know a, a great crowd. There's nothing quite like screening your movie to a bunch of people who have no idea who you are. Because uh, I mean, Australia that's where you really fun. that's really where you really get a sense of, of if the movie is working. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, and for this movie, we were a little bit more hopeful because you know, sexually frank, as as proud as we are of it, um, it does it has you know very subversive and transgressive themes in it that might, you know, that aren't, isn't for every festival. And at the same time, it's not, it's not an underground movie that, you know, it's not an ugly film by any means. Right. It didn't, it didn't have a good home really. It didn't, it it didn't fit in with the underground people and it didn't fit in at the broader taste film festivals. So So basically what you're saying is basically what you're saying is it's a really sweet movie. It's good. Uh, um, uh, But you know, it just wasn't dark enough for them. I mean, it's a very bright movie too. So uh, yeah, so yeah, they it, just, it, they it, just... it's about it's about friends who love each other, and, and you know, so it's like 
it doesn't fit in right. well with like the the kinky dungeon scene or anything like that. Right. No, um, nobody's head gets shot off or anything, or uh, yeah. nobody, nobody slits their wrist or anything in it. But uh, 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I mean, you you so again. Also, you know, then with uh, having fun up there, you know, having fun up there is a very also a sort of a a difficult length of a movie, you know, too. So there's all that, there's oh, yeah, that yeah, crazy yeah. thing that some film festivals have, which I think is absurd, uh, but, but, but that have like a problem with movies that are, that don't conform to a, to a, um, <clears throat> to a uh, you know kind of a you know a ninety minute two hour sort of thing, or even with shorts, like a lot of film festivals won't won't program any shorts that are over fifteen minutes long. You know they only want fifteen minutes or under, and anything that's thirty minutes confuses them. And this movie is just about like we're almost right under seventy minutes. So does that yeah. have you have you found that creates also some issues as well or i mean if, if it has i, I don't I, if, it, if it has i don't know about it no 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 one has said you know what we totally would have accepted this it's just too weird weirdly length you know if they they may have thought that i just no i haven't gotten that feedback mm. um but well, that's what good. i can tell that's you good. What, what i can tell you is we've um we we yeah well, first we screened at the buffalo niagara film festival which was like a complete desert uh, like nobody went to that film festival. We went all the way out there, big cast and crew of us, super excited to go see our movie. And I swear, I mean, like the movie that played before ours was so bad that I, I, I have to assume that they just accepted everything. And, uh, <laughs> and so we weren't, we weren't feeling super proud. The only thing that was cool though was that we we screened on Blu-ray in a an actual commercial theater, and I uh-huh. never, I've I had never screened in an actual commercial theater before. And so it looked really nice. So that was cool. And then and then we, we had our hopes up because the following week we were screening at the Seattle True Independent Film Festival. And we yeah. thought, okay, Seattle, right? Like that's, you know, a, a, a city that probably would like a film like this or a film festival that might like a film sure. like this. Sure. Well, the, the, the room that we screened in was maybe an eighth of the size of the, of the Buffalo screening. Nobody was there at all uh, except for, I think, one other guy – and he was there because he got a free badge because he didn't get into the festival. And that's what they, that's, they give badges to people who don't, don't get into the festival. <laughs> so he, <laughs> what? <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. So he, that's he was there to watch our movie. And, and I remember it was like the screening time was 8 o'clock and the dude's sitting there uh, and, and I'm I'm starting to like kind of curse myself being like, why did I come all the way out from Boston to Seattle to sit in an empty theater? And the guy's mm. like, oh, I'm sure somebody will show up. I'm like, dude, it's eight o'clock right now. He's like, oh, never mind. Sorry, maybe next time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, we conduct we we conducted a pity a pity Q and A. Uh, I was rooming with one of the actresses, and she she had a question in the audience, which was, uh, can I get the shower first tonight? <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it just it, that sucked. And then you know we thought That's we hilarious. were done. Uh, and uh, we, we we thought that was kind of the end for us. Um, when we got notified that we got into the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival, which we were so pumped about because guess where we're from, you know, right around the corner. And not only were we screening in our hometown, uh, and also the film is very New England-based. It, it, it's very New England fall. The whole look of the movie is mm-hmm. like New England fall. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. But we also, the, the, the festival was screening films at the Brattle Cinema, which is a repertory theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which like is pretty, all, re- pretty all, legendary. A legendary yeah, theater, it, I would say. It was on all of our bucket lists 
um, to, to screen in that state. And, and we had actually tried to four-wall it. We tried to, to rent the theater ourselves uh, a couple months before that, and it was like $1,000 for two hours. We didn't do it. And so because of uh, the messages of Independent Film Festival, we ended up getting to, to screen at the Brattle. And it was a, a nice crowd. It was a lot of people we knew, a lot of good supporters. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, we, you conducted a and a with us, which was super fun. And, and then it ultimately led to winning Best Writing and Best New England Film, which was like one of their sort of Best Picture awards. So that was like a huge victory for us. Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, you know, and you almost got Best Actor for John Ryan. If it hadn't been for Max Gale and The Frontier, you would have gotten that as well. Uh, <laughs> We've got to share it with somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that we spread it around a little bit, the love. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, do you... Do you <clears throat> okay, so now you're going to Austin, and, uh, you know, I guess you have kind of high hopes like you had for Seattle there too, but I think you'll do better in Austin because it's more, I, I don't know, I, I sense it's more of a thin Austin's town. A, in the, so, okay, so, you know, I've, I've, got, I've gotten into a number of festivals in my lifetime, but I've never gotten into a festival of this size. Um, these, it, it, I, I'm told that, like, there's 4,000 attendants. There's a number of things, uh, or attendees, I should say. There's a number uh-huh. of things going on around that same week that, like, everybody's in Austin. We couldn't get a hotel um, and these guys have been, you know, the, the festival uh, administrators have been in contact with me almost every single day since early September. Um, did you get your prints made yet? Um, uh, uh, have you contact? Have you contacted the local press? Um, wow, they're really on it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and you know they they want to um, they distribute the posters and postcards for you, and they assign you with a volunteer who's going to make sure you get where you need to go, and that you're going to be at your screening on time. They want to know who who is going to be at the screening from the film so they can promote that. Um, you know, it, it could still be a no-show. It totally could, but um, so we, we are competing. We're in a, a competition category called Comedy Vanguard. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? It, it's, if nothing else, we know that, uh, that Austin is, uh, is definitely the kind of town that, that this movie was made for. I mean, it's a big music town. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they actually they called, they called me before they made any official announcements, and they said they wanted to know how is the film doing so far. Because I think it, it it plays into their um, their sort of you know uh, festival strategy is you know is this film has has this film already had success and we're just kind of riding off of that or are we going to discover this film for the world a little bit and they kind of want to I think they want to claim that a little bit um, sure so we we said you know honestly that you know uh, we just had a nice success in Cambridge but other than that it's been a sad state of affairs and they said well we love it we think that in a lot of ways it embodies the festival. They they they've started as a writing festival only, and they say you know we love the screenplay. This is a writers festival. Um, we'd love to have you in in, in the uh, in the fest. So uh, we're all going to go out there for sure. Um, as George Carlin used to say, if there's a zip code, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's gonna. I I think it'll be a, a very big success, success there. I think it's the perfect place for it to play uh, uh, because of the film and music culture there. So obviously, it's gonna. Yeah. I think it's gonna be good. I hope that uh, you know you'll be in Atlanta. Uh, you know when the springtime comes, because uh, I think it'd be nice. Uh, you know to uh, to get a little bit of New England in Atlanta, um, but. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit before I let you go. You know, you, uh, I wanted to talk movies with you a little bit. Uh, yeah. and, 
you begin the book by talking about your 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 love of trauma and uh yeah. and Lloyd Kaufman's movies and and so forth and um and uh, and also through your own movies uh, I I do get a big you know Kevin Smith vibe although I kind of like the dialogue in your movies a little bit better than Kevin Smith for me personally you know yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I don't know I I respond to your your movies a little bit more than I do Kevin Smith but uh, but can you talk about some of those influences and some of your other influences and some of uh, you know just some of the things that also things that you're watching these days that you like. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for for one thing, um, just because you're inspired by somebody doesn't mean you want to emulate them necessarily. Um, right. And I, that that's kind of a really important thing. It, you know, it's um, you know, what, what, what's a good example? Um, you know, Chris Rock was 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 largely inspired by Bill Cosby, right? But you know, you you don't see a lot of Bill Cosby in Chris Rock, but you but right. you do see how how one had to come to to make the next. Not to compare myself to to somebody great like Chris Rock, but you see my point, which is in, in really to to become truly inspired and to try something you wouldn't have normally tried, you sometimes need somebody else to to show you that path. And trauma has been that for so many filmmakers. They're they're kind of, one of the a very early conversation that uh, that Jeff and I had, which we actually recorded. It was a, a, an episode of a podcast. It's the second episode of a podcast I do called Discount Film School where we have conversations just like these. Uh, I was talking to Jeff about how trauma, maybe unlike any other film that I, you know, film company or, or filmmakers I can think of, all of their fans are aspiring filmmakers, like almost almost all of them. And and there's yeah. there's a reason for that. It's not because they think that the jokes in trauma movies are so funny. It's because when they were 14 years old, it was the first time they saw something that was truly independent or truly turned away from the studio system or appealed to their 14-year-old sense of humor and <laughs> in a way, and, 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 and very much like Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez or, Peter, or early Peter Jackson, it was the first time that they said, you know, uh, you can do this in your backyard and get away with it. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. against the law. Um, right. And, and that's the, you know, for me, a big, a big huge motivator was, um, and I was really young. I was maybe like 12 with South Park. And uh, uh, it wasn't just because I, I thought they were really funny, which I still do. I, I still love these guys. And it's been so great to watch them graduate from, from those early cartoons all the way up to um, you know, Tony Wynn. Foreman and, and, you know, yeah. so, so great. But, uh, but they, there they were on primetime, you know, cable television with construction paper animation. Uh, right. They literally were doing a cartoon with, with popsicle sticks and, and, you know, paste. Um, right. And that, you know, I, that, that was the first time I pulled the camera out of my parents' room, you know, when they were, when they were out for the day. <laughs> and, you know, I found a, like a telescope tripod my dad had for a telescope and I put it on the tripod, aimed it down and printed computer paper drawings that I did on, you know, on the computer and started doing stop motion. Um, and, and, and then, you know, I would play it back on the TV and voice it over to see if, okay, you know, now I just need to get the audio on top of it. And you're doing everything very analog. But they, they, they were, you know, you need somebody. And Jeff was talking about, you know, when I was, he, he wanted to relate it back to music. And all he could think of was the Ramones. You know, that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, a lot of Ramones fans, big Ramones fans, are huge, hugely into music and are musicians themselves. Um, 
the fact that, you know, any given Ramon song, it really is just those three chords. It never hits a bridge. It never hits, mm-hmm. you know, a chorus. It just And they're very short, to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's the it's accessibility. It's the thing that says, oh, I, I, I thought that that was against the rules. Um, if it's not, maybe I can do it too. So, um, there, there's, you know, I have my film taste. And I would not just I would not describe trauma as my film taste. I, it's very rare that I I pull out a trauma film and and pop back and watch it. Um, <laughs> so you haven't watched <laughs> Fat Guy Goes Nuts at any time. For, uh, you haven't no, watched that. One. Although you know I made I, I made a movie called I Need to Lose Ten Pounds as my first feature when I was much younger, and it got picked up by Trauma. And uh, uh, it was, I was hoping they would at least package it with Fat Guy Goes Nuts, but that never happened. <laughs> that would have been perfect. <laughs> but I, I never. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not exactly my taste, but it. Is, I I still think that um, at least at the time that I was growing up, it was really important. I think now with YouTube, um, there's a lot less of that. I think like the the walls have been taken down a lot. Um, uh-huh. I think that I think, I think right. the culture is the culture is becoming more comfortable with a rough around the edges aesthetic, with the fact that uh-huh. everything has a, has a gloss to it. And so suddenly films like mine, I think, are a little bit more palatable to, to a wider range of people. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think also it's getting to be where uh, it's becoming this this rough around the edges is becoming sort of preferable to some people, where if, if yeah. something has the kind of bells and whistles on it that uh, make it look, quote, unquote, professional, uh, like they're, they're, so there's something suspicious about that. I don't know. There's Absolutely. like a, some kind of hackles go up, and uh, they're, they're starting to actually respond to things that, that don't have that stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, so I think that's I think that's a good thing. Uh, so, do, have you have you seen anything recently that you that you really liked? That uh, you know, I loved Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I still think that's one of the best movies of the year as well. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, I it, it was. It's going back a couple of years, but um, there was a there was a Jason Reitman movie that came out that that inspired having fun up there a lot. Uh, Called Young Adult with Charlie Theron. Yes. Um, that I Pat you know, that, that idea of kind of a late adolescence, and I, I also liked the way it was shot. Uh, I liked the anticlimactic ending. Um, that, you know, I, I actually I think that Jason Reitman, um, in some ways, I, I look at his career. You know, I saw Labor Day and couldn't believe how bad it was after he made uh, so many good movies. But um, I kind of like what he's doing, and I, I think maybe I'll do this myself, which is. Um, he kind of writes one, and then he works with his writer. You know, he'll write one, and then Diablo Cody will write one. And I might do that right. moving forward. I, I may, um, I may do exactly that. Uh, I just thought I think. Bold... Well, Oops, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think actually uh, to speak to what you're saying, uh, uh, I think more directors, uh, more um, independent filmmakers, need to do that more often. Like, step out from the writing side of it, uh, and then uh, and and. Go and sharpen the directorial skills. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a big deal, and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of filmmakers look at look at uh, making films like like some people look at writing songs. You know, it's like yeah. I have to be the director. I have to be, you know, if I'm the if I'm the performer, that is the director. I have to be the writer too. You know, so well, like, a lot of a lot of not a lot of non filmmakers think that same thing. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say. Oh, but you 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 directed Jeff's movie, you know. Um, and I, I my answer is well, no, I directed Frankie's movie, 
which Jeff wrote, you know, <laughs> so it's, Correct. it's uh, the, the, the idea of ownership. Um, I mean, this is a long, a long had debate about uh, who is the author of a film, but, but I mean, we, we both very much authored this movie, I, I, but you can't, you cannot direct a movie that is not your story. Um, and, and it, they do not have to be your words and they do not have to be your situations to be your story. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's an important thing that makers need to learn. And sometimes it takes a little bit of maturity to get there. Well, I think that's a great place to leave off. I uh, want to, uh, I, I think that's a great piece of advice. And uh, First of all, to let the audience know, the uh, movie is having fun up there. It's going to be playing uh, at the Austin Film Festival uh, on October 26th. Uh, and um, and then it's also available. Can you say the uh, say the the uh, information where it's available, where they can buy it, and so forth again? Yeah, you can you can buy a, a DVD or a Blu-ray. Both are loaded with special features because that's how I do. Um, uh-huh. At redcowentertainment.com/store. Right, and. Um, and so I, and I encourage people who are into music and into movies or uh, or both or whatever to go and check it out because it's it's really good. It really gets it right. And uh, and then of course the book is called More Weight, uh, which is also a very good uh, uh, primer for people uh, who are perhaps interested in telling their own stories on on through the digital medium, shall we say? We won't say film, uh, but uh, <laughs> I kind of describe it as. Um, you know, people ask, is it a how-to book? And I said, yeah, kind of. It's more, uh, uh, you know, here's how these guys did it, which I think sometimes yeah. is the most helpful thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so, uh, um, and w- one more thing, like, what's next? Are you working on something next? Or uh, yeah, well, I, I um, so for one thing, I'm I'm halfway through a shoot that my wife and I are co-directing. Uh, a, a movie is called Till Get Do Us Part. And it's a uh-huh. documentary uh, about how awfully expensive weddings are. It's been really fun. We've been uh, uh, showing up to, um, uh, like, wedding consultations saying that we're going to get married, and we try to get people to sell us stuff, and we get it all on camera. And it's, you know, kind of a large conversation about the good, the bad, and the ugly of uh, of wedding planning. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Um, and then there's, there's also – I, I – uh, uh, I would love to direct something that is kind of contained in one location, maybe two or three actors, uh, something like Hard Candy or Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, something or along tape those lines. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and something that kind of the, the horror of it mounts. It's about, you know, it starts as a small problem and it mounts into a bigger problem and a bigger problem and a bigger problem. And, you know, the variance, the visual variance is more about, uh, it's less about the space and more about the, the color temperature and the lensing. Um, I, mm-hmm. And I, I would love for Jeff to write that. So if Jeff is listening, that is my charge to you, sir. You write it and I'll direct it. 